to Beyond the Norm, episode two, uh, where we're talking about everything uh, comedy, business-related, uh, improv, and those kinds of things. Uh, so here in episode two, I like to jump in. Uh, I always, I said it, I'll probably say this a lot dur during this, but just, you know, I, how, how my, how I work in terms of like looking at things, I take a look at things. If I'm going to do them or be a part of them, it's, uh, does it make me money? Do I love it? Or am I intellectually curious uh, on that? So that's kind of that's kind of how I approach things, and, and I figured I'll jump right in on on the uh, the business or the makes makes money type of deal. So obviously, uh, for those who of you who don't who do know me, you know the business that I do. Those of you who don't, I, I work in comedy entertainment. I own a couple different uh, comedy companies or or clubs, uh, Improv Asylum and uh, Laugh Boston. But I'd love to talk about Improv Asylum because on the business side of things, it's very exciting. As of tomorrow, we are taking possession of the keys to a theater in New York City. Oh, dang. And that is official, and it is signed up, and uh, we, we take possession of theater in New York City. Uh, in New York City. Uh, and we look to hope it, we hope to open in, in September. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. And that kind of came about for those of you that are uh, intimately in the improv world and the comedy world, so UCB, uh, which is uh, a mainstay uh, of in, in New York City, they were at their theater in Chelsea for I think 15, 16 years. I actually performed there as part of uh, part of a showcase. Uh, I don't know if they still do it. They probably still do it. I don't know. But uh, the Friars Club comedy I don't know, showcase or whatever. But but I but I performed in a show there. Uh, you know, Improv Asylum performed. Uh, it was like me, Matt Catanzato, Chet Harding, I think Kylie Fitzgerald, Jeremy Brothers. Um, well, anyways, they uh, through various business dealings that they do, they ended up moving to uh, another another theater. Uh, they had an opportunity. I think it's in Hell's Kitchen, and I was made aware of this. So it was kind of brought to me and said, "Hey, this is there." I looked at it and we went down. We did a quick visit. I was like, you know what? This is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm going to jump on it. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to work. Uh, but but uh, so we did, and, we, and it came about very fast. At least in terms of how these things come about, um, because I've done this now a few times here in Boston. I, I will say, surprisingly, or maybe not. I don't even know. But it was way easier in New York. Really, it was much faster and much easier. New York's got their shit together when it comes to doing business and entertainment. Is it because there's such a high turnover? I don't know. I just think they have their shit together. I, th I, th I think they, you know, they're just more professional. You know, the, the, the knock on Boston, and I've been here for 20-something years, it's a no city, man. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, I love Boston. It's my home. Uh, staying here, headquarters of my companies are going to be here. But I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, you try to do something new or different in this city, it, it's a real struggle. I mean, when we opened, when we opened Improv Asylum, that was, that was 1998. So it was a classic, the, the class, you know, I was in my, I was 26 when we opened that company, right? And, uh, and it was the classic, you don't know what the hell you're doing, right? But, but somehow that theater was available. I'll, I'll tell the story of how that theater was available some other time because that in and of itself is an interesting story. Oh, yeah. So in my naivete of being a young person and saying, we're going to open this, we got the lease and we're like, all right, we're going to do some stuff. I think we, we, we probably got possession of it. I don't even know. I want to say maybe like June or July of, of 97 or something like that. We're like, great. We're going to open and do some stuff. And opening, I, I remember it was like Halloween. We're going to open in like three months. So we should be able to get everything going. 
Yep. Cut to May of 1998, and we're still not open. Uh, you know, and, and, and it was all because of the bureaucracy of what, you know, again, we didn't know how to do this. We were young, but the bureaucracy of trying to open this theater. We couldn't get approvals and license to do what has been done there, like, you know, literally months before. And it just took forever. And, you know, it was this guy, Hal Abrams. Uh, and I was like, had I known, and he ended up later on at another, he was like, a, you know, you have all these inspectors. And later on, it turns out that he got arrested for corruption. I was like, damn it. If oh, I would have oh. known, if I would have known that I was just supposed to pay him, yeah. I would have paid him right, <laughs> right away. Yeah. I'm like, you got to make it more obvious, guys, if you want. Um, it's it's easier, and I would have had, but but it, it's just the city is a city, and no, in, in so many different ways. And when you try to do things, you know, people just freak the fuck out, man. And especially being an improv theater, and the whole thing is based around yes. And you're That's like, crazy. Come on. Well, well, just to give you a couple of examples, right? So Laugh Boston. So you guys have been over to Laugh Boston. It's it's in it's built within the Western Waterfront Hotel, right? Boston and Massachusetts is one of the only cities, right? So there's there's Laugh Boston, and then right next to it, there's MJ O'Connor's, and then there's the hotel, right? So we serve beer and wine and booze. MJ's does as well. They have lobby bars in the hotel, right? But you cannot walk out of my venue, Laugh Boston, into the lobby. People freak out. You cannot walk from MJ out of their place into their lobby. They'll freak out. With a drink? With a drink. Yeah. You can't walk from one venue to the other venue. Everybody freaks out because it's against the law. It's the most like crazy, like what do you mean? Yeah. Like you're just walking, you're still in the same building and they're like, hey, 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 hey. And we have to do it too. Our security people have to do it too because there's these laws that each one is its own separate thing and you're breaking the law. If, and it's, it's just a city of no all the time. Wow. It's, it's amazing anything gets done. Last year, last year, uh, the, the big thing was, one of the big things was uh, IndyCar Boston, prime example, right? Big, huge idea, had a lot of uh, you know, business support. I was all for it because the damn track was going right by Lap Boston. I was gonna rent the shit out of that place. <laughs> big spender suite, you know, stuff like that, and we were part of that. And, uh, and it ultimately, of course, got blown up. You know, and and uh, there's different there's different groups that I, I would be part of or speak to or you know because you know, they wanted business people or whatever in support. And, and one of the points I made to one of the groups, you know, they're like, well, this is going to disrupt, you know, for a, for a week and all this and, and this is the seaport. I mean, yeah. it's the seaport. What are you really disrupting over there? Yeah. High end rents of businesses. But anyways, but that's where you have land. So I said, well, look, with this attitude. Think about it today, in, in 2018, is that where we are, right? If somebody came to this city, pretend just there's no, you don't know the back history of Boston. If somebody came to this city now and said, so this is what I want to do. I want to close down eight communities over 26 miles. I want to stop traffic. I want to close roads. Millions of people are going to clog the streets. We're going to close these things down. We're going to do it on a Monday. A work day we're gonna close it down there would be no such thing as the Boston Marathon yeah. that thing would have never that would never get approved today yeah. it's the most iconic one of the most iconic things we do here right and so uh, I feel like as much as I love Boston and look you know there's a lot of good stuff going on and we've developed things but, but I do you know if I'm speaking very honestly it's a it's a city and no in so many different ways the Boston Marathon would not exist can you imagine trying to pitch that yeah well 
you might have even said it for the New York theater. What was the time frame from, oh, it's open to this moment right now? The, the, the time frame is so we take possession. Uh, we actually take possession. We get the keys tomorrow. It's okay. very exciting. Dang. So Pablo's going down to, go, to grab that, and he's starting work on it. So, uh, so the timeline is we're going to uh, you know, rehab the space over the next uh, three months. You know, take that time to you know, uh, refresh it. You know, that's, it was an iconic space, uh, but it's got a lot of years of wear and tear. And the other thing, too, is you've got to make it your own. You know, yeah. you, it's, it, would, it would be weird to be like, oh, UCD was here, and now you don't do anything, and you're just doing stuff in UCD spaces. That's, you know, that's not what you want. So we're going to do that for the next three months. Uh, that's our timeline with the idea or the plan to open in September. Now, that's my timeline. I'm so scarred by being in Boston that I'm like, what? There's no way that's going to happen, right? Uh, but everybody else seems to be like, yeah, no, because the other parts that we've been doing so far have been... Not to say that there won't be hiccups, but it's been so much easier than anything I've done in Boston yeah. so far. Well, hey, if it slips a month, maybe you'll get that Halloween opening that you, that that you always, always wanted. wanted. But, but, but again, it just shows you when you ask why. Well, I just think Boston, uh, New York is just a far more, I mean, it's, it's, it's a professional city, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's, one of the, you know, it's one of the top two, three media and entertainment markets in the world. So they got their shit together. Not to say that we don't, you know, you don't have the stuff, but so, so I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about that, you know, in particular. And one of the, one of the big reasons too, that I was, I kind of made the decision so quick is, you know, look, it was, it was a space that was available that was literally doing the work that my company does, you know, I mean, successfully for 15 years. Well, it does work there. Now, will it work for us? Well, that will depend on if we execute well and, and do good shows, but the, the, business works there it worked yeah. great there for 15 years so i'm like well yeah that makes perfect sense and then also just you know you, you it, we also have the added benefit of just such a great uh, talent pool specific to who we already know in our improv asylum uh, alum already in new york mm -hmm. uh, and that's a great starting point it, yeah. it's going to expand far beyond that but that 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 gives us a quick starting point to say like well we know and love these people and we know how good they are so uh, so yeah so that's the big one man we're yeah. We're in for good or for ill. I'm sure you're getting uh, a lot of phone calls, right? A lot of emails. Well, I've been getting a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails now yeah. for a couple months. Uh, and, it's, and it's basically, by large, it's all good. I mean, I, I, what am I going to feel bad? Because no. pe people were like, hey, I want to be a part of it in any way that, that, that I can be a part of it. So, yeah, uh, so yeah it's very exciting. But, but it's funny. You, you, know, you, like, you start hearing from people that maybe you haven't heard from in a while. You're like, <laughs> hey, how's it going? And you're feeling pretty good. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so it, it's very exciting. Uh, to be able to kind of start that that adventure, and so it's a big deal for the company. That's, so. that's cool. Yeah, man. So that's the big one, uh, and I'm sure during the course of all these things that we're doing, there'll there'll be a lot more uh, updates, and I'm sure there'll be twists and turns yeah. in terms of uh, the. It's you know it's going great. They're not going to let us open. Uh, I'll tell you the story down here sometime. That should be its own. It'll be its own episode <laughs> because it's just it sounds fake. When I tell that story, you're gonna be like, eh, but it didn't really happen like yeah. that. And like, it totally happened like yeah. that, and and it, it sounds crazy. So that's uh, that's kind of like the uh, you know the doing something for you know the checking off the you know it's got to pay me or it's got to make business sense. I mean, yeah. I, I I boil it down, it's got to pay me, but really it's it's got to you know got to make some kind of business sense. Uh, or if you love it, if you love something, do that too, right? Uh, for me, what I got coming up right now is love. I love to travel. I didn't travel. That's not how I grew up. I grew up, you know, lower blue collar, you know, mill town, 
father truck driver, mom worked in the car factory. Like what I'm doing, there was no, there's no, I shouldn't be doing this. Like there was no inkling of that kid from Grafton would be doing this. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense from the town, from my parents. Yeah. Not that I heard the bad people. It's just, that's not what it was, right? So certainly we didn't travel. I mean, it was, for me, you know, it was a foreign land to go a couple towns over. So um, I've been very fortunate over the course of my career, especially in the last probably five to 10 years anyways, to have some really great opportunities to travel. Uh, I was recently in Dubai a couple weeks ago and I'm heading for Ireland, uh, working, working for Ireland, in Ireland, not for Ireland, in Ireland, uh, next week and and I love it so I was in Dubai three weeks ago and I've been we've done a lot of stuff in Ireland and that's it's always great it's and it's an easy place to go to I feel like that would be a, another story for another podcast too oh in Prophesy Ireland yeah oh my god oh and we'll get guests and we'll yeah. do like a retrospective yeah. and I mean I think Brian Daly is still scarred uh, from his time there. Yeah. Uh, oh man, yeah, we'll get Jeremy in here, Kylie Fitzgerald, yeah. Taylor Burris. Oh my God, it'll be really great. That was that was another, that was a failure. You know, and everybody wants to talk about successes. But I mean, that's bullshit if that's all you do is talk about successes. Because if you've got successes, you damned well have failures, yeah. right? And, and when you take swings, I take a lot of swings, they don't all work out. And Ireland was a perfect example of you kind of have a metric in your mind or in your business. You know, maybe it's not, you know, look, we're, we're comedy, we're improv people, so it's not super nailed down, but of what you need to do something to make it succeed. You're like, yeah. all right, it's got to be this, this, and this. If it doesn't really have those things, don't do it because you know it's going to be very difficult to work. But Ireland was an example of wanting something to work. Yeah. Because if you were to, if you were to go look at it unemotionally, and you check off your boxes, didn't check any of them. We knew it. Check off the boxes of like, make money, love it, Well, Well, from a business standpoint, it's a little different. Like, so when I do something, by and large, if I'm really going to do something, coming from an improvisation standpoint or, or an entertainment standpoint, I have to own the venue top to bottom. Why, why? Be because ultimately, if you don't have the control of everything, invariably, the outside person, maybe the person who controls the venue, whatever, doesn't see it your way or it's, it never happens fast enough. Like you can have patience. I could have patience with Improv Asylum, right? Yeah. So when we started doing shows, there were two people in the audience, five people. I remember, I, and, and there'll be the members of the original cast will, will tell you this. I remember doing a show for one person. And I remember, cause it was right when we were doing it and there was one dude there. And so we went out and I was like, look, it's only, you don't have to stay. You're the only person there. And he's like, well, if you do the show, I'll stay. And so ours was like, well, if you stay, we'll do it. We need the work. We, yeah. we, we just started. And that was the ethos that we still have to this day. Um, but we had that thing is we wouldn't cancel shows. Yeah. And, and as crazy as it sounds, that's opposite to how most comedy venues or improv theater and stuff like that work. They have this crazy artificial number of like, well, unless we have 10 people in the house, we're going to cancel the show. It doesn't make any sense. A as if, if there were nine people there, you've somehow crossed into some magical land of profitability or, or you're not profitable and at 11 you are yeah. you're not profitable at 9 or 11 yeah going from 9 to 11 didn't pick up the energy in the audience anymore right but what you damn well did is when you sent those nine people home without a show you guaranteed that almost none of them were going to come back yeah. whereas when he when we would do the show for one two five people in that first year because we got pretty popular pretty fast 
and I can remember within the first year, people, it was a badge of honor. People come back like, I was here and there's only five people. <laughs> and I've told everybody, like, why would you cancel the show? You need the work. Yeah. I need the work. Right. right? But but how you've probably both been a part of things where oh, yeah. there was a rule. Awkward compliment and it, like over at the Seminole Theater, you know what I mean? You, oh, yeah. you jump in that show. Yeah. Yeah, I think our number was something like, it was super low. It was like six. It was like, if we don't have six people. Basically, if they if, if we outnumber them, we were like, we'll just talk to them. But we've done shows for like four people. It's the best. It's the best when you can do a show for like four people, yeah. two people. It, it's like, it's like, and w- obviously the show may change of what it is, but do it. Yeah. If there's, they're going to be there, stay there. So by owning it top to bottom, you can have that patience. Yeah. Right? When, when you don't, when you don't own it top to bottom, understandably so, you know, the, the, the venue owner or operator is going to start to get antsy and is going to want to put in like, you know what, I can replace this with, you know, blow up sumo wrestling. So you have that. And because I'm sure there's so many better people and operators than I am, the only way I've ever been successful with any of the things I've done is I started them mm-hmm. and I stuck with them. And that's it. And if I don't have the ability to stick with it, it's probably not going to, it's probably not going to work for me. Like since you own this venue, when you were having those, you know, real low numbers, you had the ability to go, we're going to stick with comedy, even though there's probably other more profitable things that you could have put in there. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. you, you had the ability to go, no, stay no, this course. We're just going to do this. We're yeah. going to stay doing this. We know how we like to do it. We know how we want to market it. We know how we want to treat our staffs. We know how we want to treat our audiences, mm-hmm. all of that. And we didn't have the opportunity to do any of that in Ireland. And I knew, I knew going in, yeah. shouldn't have done it. But I wanted to do it emotionally oh this would be really cool if we did but it was a failure i mean it, it, you know there's no other way and it wasn't the failure of the people who went over and did it yeah it was it was absolutely stops at the top it was it was the ownership failure um and that's okay you know as much as it hurts it's okay but you also need to be willing to look at y- your own failures and not just constantly be like i did this and it's awesome i did that what about all this who gives a shit about that let's talk about the stuff that doesn't work were there any lessons learned from Ireland that allowed this New York thing to either happen or accelerate or we're only going to do it if X, Y, Z. I think, I think it wasn't so much a, a lesson learned. It was a lesson reinforced. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is New York is the opportunity to, to own it, operate it soup to nuts. Yeah. Bar, you know, long-term lease. I go in and I sign long-term leases. Why is that? Because, uh, Bet on my success. I mean, and, and if you bet on your success, if you're in it for the long haul, then it's much cheaper, right? Gotcha, Be- yeah. Because so so I typically sign, try to sign ten year leases with like another ten year option. I like to lock them up for twenty years if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm doing there, right, is now a couple things. I'm forcing myself to make the shit work. Yeah. Because holy crap, I just signed on for twenty years, right? But I'm also giving myself that runway to say, I only know how to do this by being here. So I got, I, now I don't have to worry, I'm gonna be here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then there's the other thing, but then when it comes around and it starts being successful, well, a landlord is gonna be, if you only signed it up for three years and they see you being successful, they're gonna be, you're doing really well. You're gonna up your rent, they're gonna up, the, so, you, you, so you, you locked in a great deal over 20 years. Gotcha. What may be expensive now, you know, if you look at our Seaport deal, this uh, Laugh Boston, right? I mean, the Seaport, it's one of the, it's one of the highest real estate hottest real estate markets most expensive real estate markets in the country yeah i mean we're locked in at a rate five years ago 
our deal that we negotiated got somebody fired from that company. <laughs> no shit. But here's the thing. But at the time, yeah. at the time, I'm like, holy crap, this is huge money. Are we going to be able to afford this? Are we going to be able to sustain it? So it wasn't like I was like, ha ha, I gotcha. Yeah. It, it was more, are we going to be able to pay this? But now the bet was always, the bet's always about five years out. Three to five years out is what I'm making the bet on. And the bet was, let's get in now. And what does this look like in five years? And in five years, it looks great. Yeah. Because we, we wouldn't be able to do this over the seaport now. Oh, yeah. It's just, I so. mean, it, I, I'm imagining the seaport five years ago, what it looked like. I mean, like, it, it looks different from a year ago. Sure. You know, just the landscape and everything. Yeah. So, you wouldn't be, so that's what you're doing. And you're betting. I, I, I just tend to bet on my success, you know, as opposed to overly emphasize the protection of failure. Yeah. It's not to say that you don't, you're not smart, you don't have things in place. Like, I mean, New York, we put a deal in place where I'm like, well, I feel comfortable on the downside of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like if, if things go terrible, we can still, it can still support itself for probably a while. So there is protection on that, but no, but like, I don't know. I expect to succeed. And, and even if it's, that's just an optimistic self-defense mechanism that psychologically allows me to work in an incredibly volatile and difficult industry, whatever but but that that is i always look at like oh i expect to succeed so i want to be here let's see what this thing looks like in 10 years it's exciting yeah, in new york city so that's kind of that's kind of uh the love uh, yeah. part and that came from travel i never even got to my travel oh, point yeah. well we talked about ireland yeah i guess you didn't tell us why you're going to ireland. Yeah, yeah i'm going to ireland uh working with linkedin Oh, cool. Uh, working with LinkedIn, uh, so uh, on our on our corporate training programs, uh, and that's it, and I'm very excited to do that because not only do I just enjoy going traveling and, and, and being part of different cultures, but we're working with their uh, EMEA. It's like it's Europe, European, Middle Eastern, uh, African, and Asian like offices all come together. So we're working with very much that specific uh, audience, and I'm always interested when when, when we get to work with cultures uh, or communities that were not around as much so certainly working with you know folks coming in from Africa or the Middle East that are be a part of this I'm really excited to do that so it's a pretty pretty cool pretty pretty big deal for uh, for us or it's gonna be a lot of fun and that's through LinkedIn and then we are also working with a, um, a law firm over there uh, William Fry oh, cool. who represented us uh, in our disastrous uh, Ireland foray. Oh are you gonna uh, go over and just look at the old stomping grounds and all. Or are you gonna try to? You have to stay away fifty foot radius. Or I, I probably will. Uh, I probably will. I, I, I probably will go over there. God, and that'll be a whole. But yeah, Tony Byrne. Tony Byrne was the owner of the theater that we went in. What a, what a character, man. What a character. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably go over there. I'll probably yeah. go over there. But uh, but I love it. And I guess I get back to probably my favorite part about my job and what I get to do right now is that travel yeah. because clearly what I do is not difficult. It's not heavy lifting. Um, so I get to travel, I get to do this, but you just get to experience and, and see things and meet people in such a way that is really unique. And it validates my basic premise that ultimately nobody gives a shit about you. Nobody gives a shit about you. And that's the most positive thing in the world, right? Because if you live in this country and you consume media and I don't care what your political stripes are, at some point you swear to God, everybody wants to kill you. Right, I mean, you just get that sense. You think, like, I've even said, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I think where is going? It's like, we're going, going to, it's going to London or yeah. something. And she's like, oh, be careful. I'm like, what? Uh, people going around stabbing people. Like there was a, because somebody, oh, yeah. was like, you mean someone got stabbed? Yeah. Like, 
no, they don't. They don't care about you. And so I was recently in Dubai. And and look, it's not to say that when you experience different cultures and you hear so much, you're like, I don't know, what is this? Is there is a tension, whatever? And you quickly realize nobody gives a shit about you in the most positive sense. They don't. They're not all trying to kill you. Yeah. Everybody is so wrapped up in your own stuff. Nobody gives a shit about you. And it's kind of free. Yeah. It, it definitely, it's definitely free. So so that's kind of my. Uh, that's one of my loves. Um, I'm fortunate to do it, so I'll be in Ireland next week working with those folks. So then there's an intellectual curiosity, right? Because you're not going to figure out if you love something or you're not going to figure out if you can make a business or make money out of something if you also don't explore some things that, that have intellectual curiosity. Um, and, and so had a great meeting today with a virtual reality experience company called Mindtrek. Holy shitballs, man. <laughs> Holy shitballs. Right. Yeah. So, so one of our divisions of our company is Asylum Gaming and Esports, and we've been doing a lot in that realm of gaming and esports, and, and, and to a degree, you know, the, the virtual reality, AR, AI type stuff. Um, but we got invited over to this company to they want to talk, you know, just meet and talk, see a little bit about what the uh, AG side of things is doing and, and stuff like that. Went over there, the VR stuff. Holy shit balls! So they have this whole warehouse. Yeah. It's got I, I think 130 cameras. All set up in the ceilings. It's all computerized. You put on packs. You put on a headset. You put on, you know, your headphones, whatever, and you're you're in a video game. Wow. You're in. I mean, and and so the ones we played, uh, you know, you're just being attacked by zombies. But it's not even like oh, kind of like you're you're in. You're it's Tron. You're yeah. in the computer, and not being like you know a hardcore gamer guy, whatever. So for me, I'm looking around like, well, where where are the seams in this world? You're looking up and down and everywhere. I mean, you're. In it. Wow. And zombies, and, and your partner, because you play with other people, and you each have it, and they assign you their own avatar, and your name is above your head, and Ross or Pablo's names, whatever there is, so you look, and you see you, and you can wave, and you see your thing over. It was unbelievable. It, it was, it, and, and it it was so well done. Yeah. And, and it was such an amazing experience. And for me, where I'm so thrilled and so excited about this is I'm hell-bent on, on moving into and continue moving our companies in, into the modern forms of technology to entertain. I think that I look at live entertainment, comedy specifically, and you know ultimately our, what we do, versions of what we do, the industry, it's, it's what, how old is it? It's, it's probably like 10,000 years old, mm -hmm. right? There's been somebody standing in front of a group of somebody else saying something stupid to entertain them for a very long time, yeah. right? Uh, and it really hadn't changed that much. Whether you did it in front of a fire, in a cave, uh, in a hut, in a cabin, in a sticky basement. But it, functionally, though, there's really nothing else. You're eating something, you're drinking something. Yeah. The thinking in terms of how can we do this, how can we integrate what, what is the, the modern technology of today and what it's going to be in five or ten years thrills me. And so to go and be a part of that, it's like this is every, everything that I want. That so cool. uh, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, and, and you know, all communication set, you're talking. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's That's so great. Cool. And so, you know, much like I'm want to, and you guys know me a little bit, but I mean, they're like, so, you know, they, they, they said the fatal words. So, you have any ideas of how we might work together? Yeah. It was like, boom, boom, boom. You know, like, do I? Yeah. And, and it was a fantastic, and we exchanged a whole bunch of resumes, and they're like, yeah, that'd be great. We could do that. Oh my God, we could do that? You would do that? I'm like, Probably should. So uh, that was really exciting, and that's the intellectual curiosity uh, of being able to. You gotta go. You gotta try to 
if it at all piques your interest, go explore it. Yeah. You may do it once and never do it again. It ain't a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it usually will stimulate something else along the way. And I think that oftentimes, especially cr- creatives, people get so locked into the thing that they love. I love improv. I'm just going to do more improv. Yeah. I'm going to keep taking classes. Every single class I can get. Aren't you supposed to take classes when you don't know how to do something? Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know how to do it. And it could be one year, five years, eight years, but eventually you're a doctor. Yeah. Eventually you're a lawyer. You know, lawyers don't go like, I think I'm gonna pick up another, unless it's to hone their skills, but it's not ad nauseum forever. And I think one of the biggest problems with improvisation today is absolute overtraining and over, uh, over workshops and over, over I feel classes. like it's, a, it's that, fear of, that fear of failure that you have to, I think one of the best things that I ever heard was from Matt Catanzano, and it was like, yeah, because he was coaching us, and uh, while we, I think we were at the tail end of the training center, and so outside we were getting more instruction, and he was like, "You guys just have to do it. You have to go to an indie yeah. show and suck, and like be bad and have a and fail a whole lot before you start to understand. Like, you know, having a great show is great. Having a mediocre show is the worst, and having a bad show is great because then at least you're." You, you can learn from that. But if you, you're just in the middle of the road, like... Well, you got some grist. And, and what yeah. happens, right? You keep Everybody keeps staying in classes. I think they often say to themselves, well, I got to keep myself fresh. I got to keep myself training. But what they're really doing is, well, classes are supportive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're always going to feel good. Yeah. And if that's your only goal is to have some kind of catharsis through this and feel good, okay, fine. Keep taking classes. If you want to be a performer, stop it. Stop taking classes. <laughs> yeah. Go find a venue that will let you do a show and start doing a show because you're you're in a completely artificial environment in that class by design. Your instructor is supposed to be supportive. Your cast members are supposed to be supportive. Do you know who's not supportive? An audience, a drunken audience who doesn't give a shit about you. But that's, I don't care who it is. I don't care who the most amazing guru teacher that's out there. There's nothing, there's not, it, it, it pales in comparison to learning on the stage. Yeah. Nothing, nothing will touch it. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's McNapier. It makes no difference. And I've taken classes. I take them. They've been here with it. You want to learn? Get on stage. Yeah. Even if it's a shitty bar, basement, or whatever. You know. But no. But, but people do that. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. But it, it, so so that, so you got to get out there and find the, find those different things. And so for me. You start, and, and then the thing is, you, you start finding, because with our training and improvisation, really it's just pattern recognition. You, your brain gets very used to pattern recognition mm-hmm. and seeing things around the corner where other people don't. I don't have it any more than anybody else, other than I've exercised it so much more that maybe I can deploy it quicker. Yeah. Um, and so you start to see, like, well, what do you mean? How would comedy and VR come together? And I go, oh, here, 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 here. And they're like, and they're like, I would have never thought that. Well, yeah, but but you're you've put yourself in that position to see the pattern. Yeah. You know? That's exciting. Uh, yeah, so that was really great. So for anybody that's in Massachusetts, my trek and Woober, man, I mean it's really I'm super excited of well, what hopefully we're gonna be able to do together on some things. It's that's really cool. cool. So you're gonna have IA here, you'll have IA New York. Yeah. And then you probably won't need to get any more IAs because you could just virtually You'll That's have, the goal, man. You'll have IA. Just put on your oh, glasses yeah. and your inner yeah, show. Yeah, ready player one. And it's just well, <laughs> so what I want to do, yeah. and this is a step that gets me there, Yeah, I, I want to create the world's f- first virtual reality comedy clubs. Because at some point, why wouldn't you? 
Yeah. Okay. So, so, and I think it's at least initially it's easier to do it stand-up wise, right? Just technology. It's easier to focus on that one mic and stuff like that. But I mean, just think about it. Okay. So ultimately this live entertainment is a fine business, but you have 300 seats at laugh. You can sell 300 seats, yep. right? It's good business, five shows, stuff like that. But imagine if you also could sell a virtual reality experience that you're at that eight o'clock show, you look left, you look right, you see the people around you, you have the headsets on it, you hear the laughter, you see everything's piped in. Well, imagine if you could sell that ticket. Imagine if you could sell that ticket for a buck, one dollar. That's all I'm gonna charge. You're drunk, you're high, you like Bryan County, you're like, one dollar, right? I'll do that. And in the beginning, you'll be lucky if you get a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, right? But I promise you, eventually, hundred people will do it. Yeah. hundred bucks, still not that much. Eventually a thousand people will do it. And then 10, and then a hundred thousand people. And you'll have a hundred thousand people attend your eight o'clock show. And that changes everything. Yeah. It changes everything. And it's not, it's not me inventing it. We already know, right? We already know a mil- and eventually a hundred thousand will be a million. Mm-hmm. And you make a million dollars on one damn show. Yeah. Right? And you already know that a million people will show up at a, at a specific time online on this phone for entertainment. You already know. It's already been proved. So I'm not inventing yeah. it. From, but from the Royal Wedding? It's called HQ. Oh, that's what we... The H... <laughs> Royal Wedding? Well, I mean, we know events. I was, I was trying to give the misdirect to get you to the... It's Royal Wedding, which I actually... I watched a little bit of it. I, I like that stuff. Oh, see? Okay, so yeah. it wasn't was bad. No, I like that stuff. But HQ, yeah. But HQ, right? So it's not... It's not like we're inventing it. 1.5 million show up at nine o'clock on a Friday for that entertainment vehicle. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it's not that I wonder if they will. No, no, they will. That's already been proven. That's off the table. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, Scott Rogowski is my second cousin, the guy who hosts HQ. He's in my family. Do you have contact with him? I do. Because as soon as. Um, my kids showed me HQ and we started doing it together. I mean, as soon as I did it, I think the first time, I immediately was, was like to uh, the, the people that book, my partners who, but who are in charge of the booking at Laugh Boston, I immediately was like, gotta get this guy, book him at Laugh. Yeah. They're like, who, what is it? Like, just, just trust me on yeah. this. It is. So I don't know if they've reached out to him, but if you can put us in contact, I would love I to talk to him and I'd love to, I'd love to uh, have him at Laugh. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's, he's funny. I mean, but it's, it's funny because uh, I think he's so popular on HQ with everyone that anybody there, there's this other woman who does it Sarah I think yeah. um, they trash her in the comments so much so now bring that, back Scott yeah that now I think she's aware so she'll be like you guys are pretty mean <laughs> like in her oh, intro oh, like, oh the, the internet's a horrible place yeah, it's so I, I mean yeah. it's, a, it's a horrible horrible nasty ring of awfulness yeah. for most people so you, you really do have to learn to just I mean somehow pretend it's not there but yeah she just needs to lean into it well i mean you, you talk about not taking so many classes and getting out there get in front of a drunken audience it's like man get in front of that virtual audience sure, that's yeah. gonna be the true the true test yeah he does great and that, and the thing is this is this is a celebrity driven business i so hook us up i'll, yeah, I'll, I'll bring him i'll bring him in a laugh we'll, we'll do something awesome so that's kind of that's my curiosity thing yeah uh, that, that's my curiosity thing of going on so that's you know that that's it and you know just leaving with yeah man you gotta you gotta get yourself out there stop 
and it, it's I'm literally advocating against my own business and income. Yeah. So if, for those people that listen, like, oh, whatever, he's like, I'm like, no, I I make money off of improv classes. It's a significant part of, of my company. I'm begging you. If you've taken, if you've already graduated from a training center, whatever one, I'm begging you. The next time you go to sign up for that next class, or, or when Theater X could be my own, yeah. says, "Great, you graduated." So the postgraduate levels seven and eight are now available. For the love of God, don't do it. Yeah, don't put your money there. Hold on to your money and put it somewhere else and go do shows, man. Go do shows. Go do shows. So that's uh, that, that's, that's uh, those are things that are going on for me today, man. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. So uh, sometimes we do questions or whatever. Uh, I think we might be up against it. Great. I think I'm somebody, all for somebody from your training center just tried to come into this oh, training center room. That's yeah. I think that's what literally that was. a yeah. student that's coming in to pay me to take classes yeah. and hear me go like, don't pay to take class. And again, I'm not saying don't take classes. You gotta learn this. True. Yeah. My point is, once you've learned it, mm -hmm. why would you keep spending money? Why? I know why, and that'll be a whole different episode sometime. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. So that's everything. So, uh, so look, uh, if if why? Well, I, I point to this every yeah, time. Yeah, Joey's stubby fingers is <laughs> pointing at it again. You like this, and you leave a comment. You get two tickets to Improv Summer Laugh Boston. All you need to do is like it. And then comment. The comment could be opposite of the like. Yeah. You could be part of that horrible cesspool that is the is the internet that just wants to say horrible, nasty things about me. Yeah, 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 fine. You get two tickets for that. Um, it doesn't matter. There's no limit if you like it and you and you leave a comment. I don't care how many do it. Well, I'll have you as my guest uh, here uh, in Provincial Asylum, Boston, or very soon in Provincial Asylum, NYC. Thanks. We will talk to you later on. The